0: When I learned about virtual reality, it struck me as an amazing platform for storytelling. It provided the opportunity to bring the viewer into the story world and even make them a character in the show.
1: The World Beyond. Emotion Years of Tomorrow. Brought to you by Michael Mack. Hello, I'm Michael Mark. Welcome to a special Aurea edition of my podcast, The World Beyond the Emotion Years of Tomorrow. Where we delve into the realm of cutting edge XR technologies and explore the fascinating developments within the ARIA community. Today, my very exciting guest here in person is Eve. Western. She is a multi-faceted professional with expertise in the metaverse, experience, design, strategy, and storytelling. As a professor of screenwriting and VR filmmaking, she teaches at several prestigious institutions. Western gained recognition for creating the world's first VR sitcom, *Biz Nest*, which earned the Best Projection for Television Award at CS 2020. Her overarching goal is to infuse human emotion into the digital realm, utilizing storytelling as a powerful tool for positive change. I'm thrilled to have you here in person. Thank you for joining me today, Eve.
0: My pleasure. I'm excited to be here.
1: And as I understand, you're the first time actually at Europa Park.
0: It is. I've heard so much about it. I've been very excited to check it out in person. I just got off of a roller coaster. It's fantastic so far, and I'm looking forward to exploring it more the rest of this week.
1: Excellent. To begin the talk, I always like to challenge my guest with a provocative statement question. Will you allow me to provoke you a bit? Please do. How do you respond to skeptics who argue that the immersive experiences of the metaverse, including VR sitcoms like Business, may contribute to a society where genuine human connections are compromised and the line between reality and virtual worlds become increasingly blurred?
0: That's a great question, and I see it in two parts, right? There's first the question of using technology to sort of disconnect us, and then the question of the lines blurring. So I'll address the first part first. It's interesting how people fear that virtual reality will will disconnect humans further when right now we're already living in a world where there are screens between us. If you just walk around the streets of a city, you see most people have their faces in a cell phone. That right there is keeping them from making eye contact and and communicating with other individuals. The beauty of VR is right now people misunderstand it because you put on the headset and therefore people think that is separating you from human connection. In reality, once you have a headset on, you can connect with another human being using social virtual reality and you feel present with them and there's no screen dividing them. So in actuality, virtual reality has the potential to bring us back to our most human selves and to facilitate human connection even across great distances. And then in terms of the question of the blurring of the lines, I think that that's a really amazing opportunity. It's all about how we use it. And there's a lot of potential to supplement reality with information or experiences or humor um, to make the world a better place and to give people more positive experiences, even in their daily lives.
1: So let's try to understand you a little bit better for the ones who don't know you out there. Um, can you share to my listeners more about your journey into the Metaverse and how you became involved in experience design strategy and storytelling within virtual environments? Sure.
0: It was an unexpected and very welcome journey. I've always been interested in storytelling. In fact, in college, I started studying storytelling from its very beginnings um, in ancient Greece and Rome. So I was a classics major. I did a brief stint in finance before making my way into television comedy writing. And it was while I was doing television comedy writing that I connected uh, at a college reunion with a classmate who was a software engineer. And he was working at Google and had been asked to take over a group doing virtual reality engineering. And in the course of that conversation, he explained to me how virtual reality worked and punctuated explanation with the question of, but I don't know what the content would be. And I was thinking in my mind, I've just learned about this technology, but I can see already, like I could pitch three shows right now. And so I was very excited about the storytelling potential of this medium where we could actually bring in A viewer into the story world and even make them a character in a show. Um, And so I realized then that if the brilliant minds creating the technology weren't sure what to do with it, I wanted to connect with those people and see what we could build together. Uh, So that was the journey into it. And then as I started talking to people in that space, I heard things like, oh, we've never met a comedy writer who understands virtual reality, or, oh, that idea would actually work. And I I saw that I was bringing something to that space that didn't exist and that there was a hunger for. And so rather than, than wait for the right partner, I saw that there was something lacking in the space and so decided to independently produce the first... VR sitcom, to show the community that there was a way to tell this kind of sort of traditional television-style story, but in a new way adapted for immersive.
1: And if we look back the years, like, when did you get the first contact with that new form of technology or, like, the new form of telling stories differently?
0: Yeah, I learned about virtual reality in 2016, and then... I started, I think I made my first VR experiences sort of in late 2016, early 2017. Um, I started by dabbling in social virtual reality, uh, creating a social VR show for Altspace uh, prior to its acquisition by Microsoft. And then I also started dabbling in the 360 space.
1: As a professor of screenwriting and VR filmmaking, how do you see the intersection between traditional storytelling and the unique opportunities presented by this new technology, VR?
0: I'm very excited about it. There are some things that always hold true for storytelling, regardless of the medium. You know, I encourage creators to abide by, you know, what a a mentor once told me is that to have a story, you need to have a problem, a complication, and a resolution, right? So give us a character that wants something badly and something gets in the way and they have to overcome it. Um, That is a, quote, formula for storytelling that has proven to be applicable throughout the ages and throughout media. However, when you are presented with an immersive world, there are also yeah. new opportunities for for storytelling and for comedy. There are different choices you can make as to how the viewer or participant can relate to the story. They can be a character in it. They can be an outside observer. They can have an impact on the story or scene or not. They can have an impact on how they experience the story or scene or not. These are possibilities that are addressed in the taxonomy of experience that I've authored. And if it's useful, I'm happy to elaborate a little bit more on that. Um, And then just to speak to comedy, which I mentioned before, while not all of the Techniques in television comedy apply to virtual reality, some of them do, and virtual reality provides an opportunity to explore new comedic techniques that would never work on television. So it's kind of fun to figure out what are the things that remain true that you can port over and where you need to innovate and create something uniquely suited to a medium.
1: So, you just spoke about 216, your first contact with that way of storytelling you get in touch with, acquainted with. Then there was The Business, which is recognized as the world's first VR sitcom, which I believe was four years after that. Can you tell us? about the inspiration behind this creation and the significance of winning the Best Project for Television Award at the CES 2020.
0: Sure. So, like I said, I was a television comedy writer working on shows like Will & Grace and Disney Channel's Wizards of Waverly Place. And when I learned about virtual reality, it struck me as an amazing platform for storytelling. It provided the opportunity to bring the viewer into the story world and even make them a character in the show. So as someone who really enjoyed being on the sets of sitcoms during production, I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if I could watch Friends from, instead of watching it from the couch in my living room, watching it from the couch in Central Perk, the cafe in the show? Or what about watching NBC's The Office, but again, instead of watching it from the couch in my apartment watching it from the desk next to Jim, and so that's sort of what i set out to do is make the audience feel a part of the story world give them the opportunity to be a character in the show and have the characters that they love engage with them talk to them and i also feel like it has a positive impact you know if we think about it when we watch television on the flat screen if we're watching a tv sitcom it makes us feel better it makes us laugh after 22 minutes. We feel better than we did going into it. Um, virtual reality is an even more powerful medium because we're not just watching something happen, we're experiencing it. You know, if we have a conversation with a character in a VR sitcom, we didn't just witness that happen. That was an experience that happened to us, it's a memory we have of that happening. And so there are studies that have shown that watching something in 360 has like a 27% greater emotional impact on us than just watching it on a flat screen. So if you think about that and how, you know, watching these characters that you love on the television make you feel better, imagine amplifying that positive feeling by hanging out with these characters you love, right? It's almost like hanging out with your friends. And so if we can, in a way, manufacture that experience of having a great time hanging out with friends and then let people return to the world bolstered by that experience, it's It's really doing a wonderful thing. I think it's probably something that you enjoy about working in themed entertainment, right? When somebody comes to the theme park, they leave sort of buoyed by their their positive real-world experience. So that was something that really excited me about storytelling and virtual reality. And the accolades we got at CES in 2020 were very special and important because, I mean, the judges there are respected creators and executives in the industry. And what it's saying is that there is a place for this kind of storytelling in this medium, right? No one else had been doing sitcom-style comedy in VR. And there was a lot of questions about whether long-form storytelling could even be done. There were some books published in 2018, the same year I was filming my sitcom, that where film and television professionals were going on record saying, oh, I'm not sure that we can even do long-form cinematic storytelling in VR. So um, it was really exciting to put that show into the world and show that it could be done, and then to get recognition from people in the industry, in tech and entertainment, acknowledging that this type of storytelling does work in VR, and that there's a place for it and an audience for it was really gratifying.
1: Excellent. So if you take us a little bit closer to your journey, you were mentioning that 16, the first contact with the technology, 18, you start filming your comedy. Was there anything like different to a normal world? Did the production take longer? Did you do it differently? How long was the whole process? How long was the end product, which was uh, awarded the CES? Just give us a little bit of an insight.
0: Those are great questions, inside questions. Not everyone thinks to ask those, so good (laughs) on you. It was surprisingly fast production in a way. Um, The technology was in a place where we actually couldn't do that many takes because the camera would overheat. So we were restricted in that sense. Luckily, I was working with a really amazing team of actors that nailed the material very quickly. And so for any given segment, I call it a segment because it's a little bit more than a scene, right? There might be effectively the equivalent of multiple scenes happening in one segment or take, but we would maybe get three to five takes for each one, and that would be it, depending on how long the segment was. So we filmed, I think, over two and a half days, and the show as a whole is 40 minutes long and it can be viewed uninterrupted uh, in 40 straight minutes or it can be broken down and people can watch it uh, over 10 segments that are two to eight minutes
1: each. I mean, you're obviously an expert in, because you did it, you've been there, you went through the whole progress, but not only, you've already published several papers on and uh, a book on XR and you have a second book, as I understood, in the works. Can you tell us a bit about what we can learn from your experience and um, your published work and what we can look forward into your second book.
0: Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I'm glad for the opportunity to share these resources with folks. So the first three publications I had was a a paper and then two chapters in a book. The initial paper is on storytelling and humor as used in education as a very valuable pedagogical tool. Um, And that presents a case study of using VR to examine the cultural traditions of ancient Egypt. Essentially, virtual reality can allow students to experience for the first time in history what the ancient Egyptian afterlife was imagined to be, right? Even if you were living in ancient Egypt, you wouldn't be able to experience that without dying. (laughs)
1: So, <laughs> That's good, so
0: this proposal, this really shows one of the advantages mm-hmm. of virtual reality, right? It can take us somewhere yeah. we've never been before and allow mm-hmm. us to understand other cultures in a completely new way. One of the book chapters that was published was a case study of the business, which sort of explores how we were able to innovate in storytelling and production to create the first virtual reality sitcom. And the second chapter in that book is a publication of the Taxonomy of Experience or Taxonomy of Immersive Point of View that I authored that essentially lays out the four categories of point of view that we have for XR experiences. This is something that's really useful. And for those of you who are listening who are creators in XR, I really encourage you to take a look at it. Um, It's available online both as a talk that I gave at AWE in 2019. And I've sort of compiled a shorter version of the taxonomy that's available on my Medium page. And then of course, the the full publication is available in that chapter. Um, Essentially, we already are very familiar with narrative and visual points of view, each of which can be first, second, or third. And this taxonomy proposes two additional categories for point of view, effectual point of view and experiential point of view, that as I alluded to earlier, give us a way to talk about how much impact we can have on a story or a scene and how much impact we can have on how we experience a story or a scene each of those categories are also broken down into three different types so that's what the that chapter explores and then my current work is sharing with a broader audience how that taxonomy is part of a set of creative story development tools that XR creators can use to sort of put their idea through the paces and make sure that they're coming at it from all the right angles, asking themselves the right questions to have a successful XR experience. And by putting the idea through their paces, they also come out with effectively a really solid, clear, comprehensive pitch for an XR experience. When we're doing extended reality, it's more than just a story, it's more than just a game, it's more than an experience, it's all of those things. We need a way to make sure that we've addressed all parts of the experience, the storytelling angle, the experience design angle, the game angle, and the agency angle. So those are kind of the four unique areas that this new book will explore. The existing book is 10 Kick-Ass Careers for Storytellers It's available on Amazon, and essentially it's a compilation of interviews with, I think it's 11 pioneers in storytelling who are using storytelling in new and unique ways on various platforms that have not been explored as much historically.
1: So, you would give the advice to all uh, new creators out there to read your book if you want to do a metaverse uh, experience? That's, um, I think, what I'm listening to. So, you say, like, you know, do the thing, go into the metaverse, like, do experiences. And can you actually encourage them to go on your path? Or do you still think it's a very limited niche production technology?
0: No, I don't think it's limited at all. I think the, the, ecosystem is still developing, but experiential is here to stay. So part of the reason that I encourage folks to check out the taxonomy is because it effectively serves as a menu of options for what role a viewer participant can have in any particular experience. In the business, I mentioned that I made the audience member a character in the show, but it's also possible in VR to have your viewer participant be An invisible presence observing what's happening, right? Or a unicorn, (laughs) or I don't know, a bottle of water on a desk, right? The, The possibilities are sort of endless. And so when you're faced with endless possibilities, it's useful to have a framework to help guide us. And so the taxonomy, like I said, serves as a menu of options to show. Future creators, what's possible, that they can then make selections that support the intention of their creative piece. And the other thing that I find really useful about it is it's not just for virtual reality, it's actually for creating any story experience in any media. So that you can use these tools and techniques, even if you're creating real world immersive theater, even if you're creating theme park experiences or AR story experiences or video games, or escape rooms, or interactions with artificially intelligent characters. It's true that the virtual reality ecosystem is still developing. The experiential realm is very active. I mean, even just arriving into Zurich the other day, I took a tram ride from the airport to Transportation and there was an immersive experience on the airport tram where there was a woman, Heidi, telling her story and introducing you to the mountains of Switzerland, which were showing through the windows of the tram on a video screen, right? So, not the actual one. So, we're already seeing experiential storytelling being used in the real world all the time. And I think there's a particular hunger for community experiences after the pandemic. People are looking to go and do things with other people to engage. Again, we talked earlier about how there's a fear that virtual reality is separating us. I think it can actually be the opposite if we choose to create experiences that are, that bring people together, right? Because again, there doesn't need to be a screen between us if it's virtual reality or even if it's real world immersive, right? We can use technology in a lot of ways in the real world to create story experiences that bring people together. And I see it more and more in lots of different areas of the world and society, right? Not just entertainment, also education, also travel, also medicine. Um, there is a, a hunger and an application for experiential. And I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon because it connects so deeply with our human roots.
1: Very interesting. I mean, by listening to you, it just reminds me of uh, there was once like, I think five or eight years ago, an interactive game called Tender Loving Care. I don't know if you ever saw that from Aftermath. We literally, trans- in German, we say like looking through the keyhole. Would you say that is one of the USP of of, of telling stories in, in XR VR media, that the um, user itself can guide his way through the story by looking into different angles? So he can choose literally his path of the story, Would you say that's one of the strengths of this media?
0: I think it's absolutely one of them. And I love that you mentioned one of them, right? Because that's what's so fascinating is in this medium, yes, the user can dictate the path through a story, but they don't have to. And so that's one of the things that would be represented by the experiential point of view category, right? Is what's the level of impact you can have on the story or scene right that would be a pretty big level of impact if you can make choices or actions or even just look around and determine where the story is going uh, i think that's a very exciting opportunity and it really depends on the type of story you're telling and the type of experience you want to create whether you want to give the audience that agency i've certainly seen that there's a lot of satisfaction that happens when the viewer participant not only has agency, but is aware of that agency, which is two different things, really. It's one thing to give them the power to make those decisions, but if, if they don't see the impact of their choices, then sometimes they don't walk away with that same level of satisfaction. So there are so many choices to be made along the way, and the fact that VR gives us those options is really exciting.
1: So we literally been on the same path. I mean, we at Europa Park opened our first VR experience in the year 2015, the end of uh, 15, beginning of 16. Now we're here at the Aurea Award. It's still a very niche um, community, but a very exciting uh, community. I mean, in your point of view, what do you think? What does it take to to set off this journey of seeing more um, comedy into VR, seeing more experiences. Because when I started in 2016, I thought it was quite interesting and certainly did work at Europa Park, putting headsets on a roller coaster rider. But a lot of people still say, like, ah, VR, and this is the goggles, and we don't have them at home. I mean, you were mentioning the, um, the mobile phones, which literally everybody owns, but still yet a, very few people do have the gadgets to experience those um, universes. Um, the Apple um, device is just coming out in a couple of weeks. So is it Apple, like, like breaking up the market? I mean, Meta changed the name. Um, they went onto the Oculus. Um, but still, there was not a big breakthrough, like the streaming platform started a couple of uh, years ago. So what do you think, where do we stand right now? And what do you think it takes to make this form of storytelling or this experience come to life for a big audience?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I love that we're grappling with the same issue on different continents, right? It's just how can we how can we push this forward? I think there are a few things. You mentioned the hardware. I think that's key. Um yes, if you think back to car phones. They were these big bulky bricks that we held up to our face and it looked ridiculous and they were plugged into the cigarette lighter and it just wasn't practical and it was very expensive and most people didn't want to deal with it for good reason. Fast forward 20 years, everybody has a mobile phone in their pocket, a smartphone in their pocket, and they don't leave home without it. But we can see that the footprint of that device changed drastically, right? I mean, it shrunk. It has a incredible battery life. It doesn't need to be plugged in. It can do so many more things than just allow people to talk to each other. So from a hardware point of view, we're on the same trajectory and the timeline will be compressed because technology is evolving faster than it ever was. So we're going to get a to a point, we're not there yet, where the technology is less cumbersome and that's going to help with the adoption. I think one of the other things we've been struggling with is an audience, right? Marketing. It's a little bit of a chicken and egg scenario. People aren't going to create content until there's an audience for it, right? It doesn't make a strong business case. It's hard to get an audience if you don't have enough content to draw them in. One of the things I did to try to bridge that gap was launch something called The Look Club. It's online at thelook.club. And it's a searchable database of immersive narrative content to show people who might be interested in that kind of storytelling what's out there. Because right now, if you don't have a headset already and know how to use it and know where to find the content, you'll never learn that that content is even there, right? Even people who have a headset, unless you hear from somebody that there is a story in this particular app, you're not going to be able to find it. So we created this searchable database of immersive narrative to help make immersive narrative storytelling more discoverable. And we also launched a YouTube show. It's called The Look Club, uh, which is sort of a Siskel and Ebert for VR with a Tina Fey sensibility, which each episode exposes the audience to a different piece of narrative VR content, it describes it, it talks about what choices were made that were effective and not effective in the piece, and it shows a little preview, right? We're trying to expose people to this content without them needing to purchase and use a VR headset because that can be a bit of a barrier to entry. So we're trying to build an audience and build an interest for this kind of storytelling uh, without people needing to get the technology first because people aren't going to buy something or go get something until they understand why it's a value for them, why they would like it. And then one of the other things I'm doing is... I'm going back to basics. (laughs) You know, I really I really admire what you do here at Europa Park. You create magical extended reality experiences for people in the real world. You're utilizing VR headsets for certain attractions. You're ahead of the curve and you're incorporating technology now so that you can take even greater advantage of it as it becomes more popular and a smaller footprint and more common. But we live in an immersive world. Right? We live in an immersive world. We don't necessarily need headsets to practice our immersive storytelling skills. And so that's one of the things that I'm planning for 2024 is to explore immersive storytelling in the real world and further that art so that when the audience as we're building the audience for VR, we have an increased number of stories to bring to that space. So I continue to play in the digital and XR space. And at the same time, I continue to practice storytelling in the real world to bring audiences in and introduce them to immersive story experiences so that they can acquire a taste for it and hunger for those experiences in VR in the metaverse.
1: Interesting. So you see change coming and you see that the last three years been more evolving like the past seven years? So you see like things are moving uh, in America, that there's more and more to come, or you still think it's not yet there?
0: It goes back and forth. Okay. You know, I think there's a a real impatience sometimes. The technology comes and people are questioning why it's not been adopted 100%. But change isn't always that fast. Mm -hmm. It's like we forget lessons of the past. You know, the internet was around for a while before everyone adopted it. So these things take time. That I think the thing that is undeniable is when you talk to someone who's experienced virtual reality, it's transformative. You know, it can do things and enhance our lives in ways that other technologies have not yet been able to. And, you know, for that reason, when something improves our lives and gives us new abilities, we generally don't shut the door on it. And so that's why I believe it's it's here to stay. It's just a matter of how we work it into our lives. And, and to be fair, entertainment is not always the first way something comes into our lives, right? Computers are used for entertainment all the time these days, but that wasn't why people brought them into their homes. You know, people didn't bring in PCs mm-hmm. into their homes in the 80s for entertainment, right? They brought them in for business purposes, right? So there's going to be a use case that's going to get people to adopt this technology. And then once they have it, and it's handy, and it's easy to use, and it's easily accessible, then they'll use it for more and varied parts of their lives.
1: You've answered a lot of my question. Would you like to ask me something in return?
0: I would love to ask you so many things. <laughs> I find what you do here fascinating. Uh, well, we have all evening
1: ahead of us, so it's going to be an exciting talk tonight.
0: Great. Um, let's see. The first thing is I, I am very excited about your adoption of technology here. I mean, it's very cool because I know really at its core, Europa Park is a tech company and, you know, you've started with the technology of roller coasters and now you're adding the technology of VR headsets. I'm familiar with your use of VR headsets on the VR coaster. And I'm curious how else you are integrating XR at the park and what you would be excited about doing with XR going forward.
1: I think that would take too long to answer (laughs) in detail, so I think we have to prolong it tonight at a nice uh, dinner. Um, Yes, we are a technology company, and I think that, as you were mentioning, that we're here to stay. So I think there's going to be a second level of storytelling also in a theme park. And um, I'm literally... Well, I'm not afraid, but when you see into uh, mobile phones, if you're not a platform, like you could be dictated from the outside world. So when Google came in, they tell you the way to go. They tell you where you can find your sh- shopping. I mean, literally, Google is telling the people what to do. So I literally want to be that platform who tells the people how to have a great time in a theme park. And I don't want to have an external company, you know, telling my guests what to do in a theme park. So... I think that a theme park is going to be more and more an entertainment visit as well. And um, in difference to American parks, we're not that heavily IP-driven. So we're more like, looking back on our history, more like architectural stuff, as you've been seeing maybe out through the park. So I'm trying to implement into the park a truly European storytelling rather than um, being somebody of the marvel universe even though i like it but i think it's not our dna what we have a theme park so i think we have to be very closely looking into technology to be the platform in the future as well because literally we are the netflix of joy and entertainment so i want to stay the platform of entertainment and joy in the metaverse and i think that's why we're doing the oria that's why we talk to a lot of people and a lot of people do ask me in Germany, "Why are you having an American-speaking or an English-speaking podcast? Why are you getting people from all over the world?" And because I think that technology is driven um, overall, whether it's been the US, whether it's been Germany, whether it's been Asia. So I love the people coming together here for one time in the year to think and to debate about the future of tomorrow. Because. I don't want to be dictated by big tech companies who tell us how we should do things. I'm rather looking into how can we use immersive technology screenwriters, interesting people who are all debating the question, maybe be part of that journey. So I think that was a very short answer to the question, but... um, Yeah, we're doing good. We've been the first part putting uh, VR headsets on a roller coaster. Uh, You're going to see tomorrow a little bit of our new immersive theater show, The Eden Manor which is still a bit of a surprise. So I'm interested and glad to see and hear your opinions. Seven years from now. As always, my final question is, looking ahead seven years, how do you envision the landscape of performance, art, technology, and immersive experience evolving, considering your groundbreaking work and unique insights? Eve Weston.
0: I'm very excited about the blurring of lines. This is something we talked a little bit about, or we alluded to early on, and I'm so glad you mentioned those various disciplines, performance art, technology, and entertainment. What XR allows us to do is combine these different parts of our world. And if we think about what Zoom did for us over the pandemic, right, it blurred the lines between work and socializing and entertainment, right we can use technology to blur the lines between entertainment and retail between entertainment and socializing between work and entertainment and so that's where i see it going and that's where i'm really excited to innovate and collaborate with others is is blurring those lines between historically segmented parts of our life now that we can bring these parts together in a central space and it connects even a little bit with what you were saying you know you bring people together in person in europa park once a year and people were asking you, Oh, why do you do that? Why do you bring people from other countries? And it's like, well, with virtual reality, again to that question of do these devices separate us? No, you bring people together once a year in Europe Park. Once we meet, we can reconnect and visit each other in the metaverse year round. Right? We can be together those so those lines, the borders are blurred as well, right? There's this blurring of lines. And I think that, in short, is what excites me about VR over the next seven years.
1: Excellent. So it's not the one or the other, it's always a fusion of both.
0: It can be. And this is what this technology gives us, right? The opportunity to create fusions in ways that we never have before.
1: And with that, we conclude this special episode from the ARIA Award. Thank you very much, Eve your time and fantastic insights about your work in the metaverse and we are filmmaking and I'm very proud to call you now one of the members of the ARIA community and um, I'm looking very forward to the next two days I'm here at the Europa Park and uh, it's a great honor to have you here.
0: Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you for all listening today. Please tune in next time again to uncover more of what the world of tomorrow holds.
0: Michael Mark presents The World Beyond.
1: Emotion of tomorrow. A Mac 1 production.